It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Seth Gooden once said, change is not a threat, it's an opportunity. Survival is not the goal, transformative success is. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime with your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all of our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map of everything we cover. That's on our website and in our weekly newsletter. Plus, check out our YouTube channel. We're putting out cool content for all age groups with new videos every week. Jonathan, what are we talking about today? Well, Rick, our question is, are Jesus's ransom and our salvation the same? Our theme text is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So once again, are Jesus' ransom and our salvation the same? It's said that Jesus died for our sins, and if we believe him, we go to heaven. This common Christian belief that ties Jesus' sacrifice and salvation up into one neat package sounds simple, but it actually raises many questions. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Is belief in his teachings the point, or is it believing in the fact of and the reason for his death? What is salvation? Is it just praying the sinner's prayer? Is it a change of heart, or is it a complete life overhaul? Does everyone who experiences salvation go to heaven? What about Jesus praying for God's kingdom to come on earth? So coming up in today's podcast, lots of questions. Most of humanity don't know Christ and never did. Does Jesus' sacrifice cover them? Our second segment deals with this hard-piercing and surprisingly very answerable question. What's the deal with being a follower of Jesus? Is salvation no strings attached, or do we work for it? In our third segment, we're going to examine how being called works and what we are and are not responsible for. As followers, what if we know the truth, but don't change. What if we accept Christ, then walk away? These are most uncomfortable questions and are clearly dealt with in segment four. And finally, how exactly does salvation work for people who do not know or even like Jesus now? This controversial part of God's plan actually has an amazingly clear answer. Hear it in our final segment. Rick, to sort this all out, we need to look at how the Bible says the pieces go together. First, we need to understand Jesus' ransom and specific role that it plays. Once this is in place, understanding salvation becomes much easier. You're right. So there's a lot of moving parts. And the bottom line, Jonathan, is let's give the answer before we even start. Jesus' ransom and salvation are different. The ransom is the cause— Salvation is the effect. So 
when you look at it that way, we've got a cause and effect. And we're going to break this down scripturally as we go through. So first, let's clarify the ransom. Jesus tells us about the ransom, and he tells us that it was his purpose. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 27 and 28. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so you you look at that scripture and you say, okay, uh, he came to serve. He gave him to, gave his him, himself as a ransom for many. Well, you know how many is many. We're going to get to that. But it's interesting that he says he gave himself a ransom for many. But he says that's what he came to do. He also shows us that his purpose was to die. His death would lead to what he called much fruit. We're going to take a look at John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24, and then jump down to verse 27. And Jesus answering them, saying, The hour is come, that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I into this hour. So it's interesting. Jesus is telling his disciples he has to die. And he says, my soul is troubled. And he says, what am I going to say to God? Am I going to say, you know, God, I don't know about this? He says, look, this is the whole reason I'm here. I came to live and to offer that life up as a ransom sacrifice. So, Jonathan, it's front and center, the point of the gospel. Salvation is not the ransom. And we're going to get into that in a few minutes. So as we go through this now, Jonathan, what, one of the things we want to do is look at different perspectives on the whole salvation ransom thing. So we're going to go to a, a different perspective. This is from Why Doesn't God Save Everybody? It's from a, a, a group called Wretched. And this is a, a guy who's out, you know, sort of interviewing people on the street, and he's got his microphone set up. And we're going to go back to him a few times during the podcast. He's having a very interesting conversation with a very intelligent, a very intelligent young woman. Let's listen to the beginnings of this. This is, this is the gospel in a nutshell. We are not good. Nobody does good. Nobody's perfect. We all fall short of God's standard. Okay. We all justly deserve his temporal and eternal punishment. We live under the wrath of God because he's holy, righteous, and just. And when we see somebody who's a violent mass murderer and we think that they should get what, what they got coming to them, that's exactly how God feels, but a whole lot more. Because he doesn't like lying or stealing or cheating or dishonoring parents, taking his name in vain. God is going to settle the score, and he's going to give everybody what they have earned for themselves. We've broken his laws. All we have earned is punishment. Wow. <laughs> uh, he missed a lot of the Bible in his point. He, he focused on one point, but... Wow. Yeah, and, and you know, he's talking about one of the things that you got to be really careful of. He says, you know, we've all, we're all sinners. That's true. We've all broken God's laws. That's true. We all, therefore, are worthy of God's eternal punishment. Now, the idea, the thought behind that, I think, is, is the hellfire thing. The problem with that is when you go back to the original breaking of God's law, the penalty wasn't eternal punishment. The penalty was death. That's what the penalty was. So he gives this sense, and already we're going down a pathway that's a little bit confusing because the wages of sin is death. 
in the garden, dying thou shalt die. So let's go back to Jesus dying. We're going to come back to him because he makes some very interesting points that, we, that can help us. Why the need to die? And the point of that is justice. Justice was a clear requirement in the garden, like we talked about, and, and with God's law for Israel as well. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 19, verse 21, in relation to the law. Thus you shall not show pity, life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. Okay, so you've got this sense of justice. See, now, you know when he said, I'm going back to that soundbite just for a minute, because he said, you know, uh, you know, we say when somebody is a bad, bad, bad person, they should get what's theirs. Interestingly, the worst penalty we have is death. You know, and the wages of sin is death. You know, and and his approach makes you scared. It makes you afraid of God. And folks, what we're here to tell you is that the plan of God with ransom and salvation isn't that way. It's based on justice. It was laid out in the Old Testament. Jesus, to be faithful to his calling, understood what the law required. Okay, we just dropped in on the law with the Deuteronomy scripture, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Uh, now let's take a look at Jesus interpreting some things. Matthew five seventeen and 18. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So here, in living his human life in a way that fulfilled every aspect of the law, Jesus earned life, and he could then justly apply that life to the unsolved problem of sin and death. Because up to that point, Jonathan, there was no solving the problem of sin and death. We were all lost. Right. And the law, remember, gave sacrifices, and it bought them time until they needed to offer the next sacrifice. And it bought them time until they needed to offer the next sacrifice. But the problem of sin and death still stayed in place. Jesus says, I come to fulfill it, and once I fulfill it, it doesn't need to be, it does, it, it's not needed any longer. Okay? Law couldn't solve it. We're going to take a look at Romans chapter 5, and we're going to spend a lot of time in Romans 5. Each segment, we're going to take another piece. It's going to walk us through how justice was first necessary, and then grace could come into play. A lot of times we talk about God and say, well, you know, by grace we're saved. Yes, that's true. But justice is the foundation of everything. Romans 5, let's look at verses 12 to 14. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, so sin and death are inevitable. They're an inevitable inheritance from Adam, okay, because that's where it came from. That's where we come from. Go ahead. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who has to come. So you have this sense that death reigned even before the law was given. So before the Ten Commandments and all of the rest of the law were given, death still was there. It was there. It was over everyone. The death penalty was clearly upon all of humanity. Why did Jesus have to die? This is setting it up for, for the answer. So Jonathan, in our first couple of segments, we're looking at the ransom of Jesus. So what's kind of our, our ransom reasoning summation for this segment? The ransom was the reason Jesus came. 
It required his perfect life as a sacrifice, a perfect man, Adam, for a perfect man, Jesus. So you have that perfection and that equality that was so very important. So Jesus had to be Jewish. He had to fulfill the law and earn the right to life and then give it all up. In the Matthew 20 text, we read, Jesus said he was a ransom for many. How many did he mean? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features. And you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Establishing the particulars of exactly what the ransom that Jesus paid accomplishes is the most important part of this whole exercise. Within Christianity, there are many opinions regarding the reach of his sacrifice, but in the Bible it all boils down to one very specific and very definitive answer. So we need to just understand that ransom for many. Well, how many? What is that about? Rick, a common question. Most of humanity do not know Christ and never did. Does Jesus' sacrifice cover them as well or not? Okay, this is an important question. This is an important question, and we need to answer it with the same, the, the, the same importance that you asked it, okay? Well, what's the deal here? Well, let's go back to uh, our friend here from uh, Wretched. He's talking to this, this young woman, and he's trying to reason with her. And, and the title of this, this, this YouTube video is, Why Doesn't God Save Everybody? Okay, so right there we have, a, we have an issue, but let's listen to his further reasoning. He was talking about God's justice, which we've already weighed in on a little bit. Okay, so... Okay. Um, well, let me, let me, let me just wait, indulge I, me I, just for 30 okay. more seconds. Go ahead. All right? But God is rich in mercy, and he desires to save sinners, but he can't just forgive it and pretend those things didn't exist because then he would be unjust, and he's not. So his plan from eternity past was to send his son in human flesh to be a representative for you, to take the punishment you deserve, to take all of the righteous deeds that he did his entire life, credit them to your account. If you will repent and put your trust in his son, he will forgive you because he makes you perfect in Christ. Okay, so that's an interesting concept. He says that not only did Jesus come to die, but... All of the righteous deeds he did in his life are credited to our accounts. Um, well, <laughs> and the the other point he brought up makes us perfect in Christ. Yeah. Hey, um, Rick, I don't know about you, but I make mistakes, and I'm trying to be in Christ. And it made me think of Romans three twenty three: for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yeah. So you know, as we look at this, the the approach is that you're perfected in Christ. And I think he's referring to the new creature. You know, I think it's First Corinthians five seven or five seventeen. I can't remember. But you know, anyone is in Christ is new new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And and perhaps he's going there. But it's it's really it's not resonating, Jonathan, from a scriptural perspective. And we're going to get into that because. Here's the thing. Who gets saved? Okay? How many is many? Jesus said he came to die as a ransom for many. Well, how many is many? 
We go back to Romans 5. It clearly shows us, okay? We're picking up where we left off last segment, right after Paul has established that sin and death are inevitable to all and are clearly identified by the law. Here's what he says next. And folks, please read along with us and see the scriptural reasoning just come out before your eyes. Romans 5, verses 15 and 16, and you know I'm going to interrupt you. (laughs) (laughs) But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died. Okay, it says the transgression of the one, the many died. Okay, that the many must mean all of humanity according to the previous context. Just go back a couple more verses. He said, Adam brought sin and death on everyone. So he's calling everyone the many. Why does he do that? Because there's lots of them. <laughs> I mean, and I think that's the reason. I do. I think it's, it's, it's that simple. So the many, through the transgression of one, the many died, meaning all of humanity. Go ahead. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So, Jonathan, if you've got the many getting the grace of God here and the many died in Adam, would you say that's the same many? I would. I'm defi- that's all humanity, Rick. Yes, and that's the point. When we read Romans five fifteen and uh, in, in, well, that was all verse 15, it gives us a sense of the equality, all die, all receive the grace. How is that possible? Hang on, we'll get there. Verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. Okay, so I love the way the apostle writes this. He was smart. You know, I just, I just, I just get that. The apostle is really smart. He says, we have this free gift. Jesus is the ransom. And he says, on the one hand, You have judgment, and on the other hand, you have the free gift. So let's start with the free gift. On the other hand, picture your right hand. Uh, uh, Jesus as the ransom, ransom pictured on one end as balancing force for the transgression of Adam, pictured on your left hand. So if you stretch your both arms out all the way, and you say the sin of Adam and the grace and the, the perfection of Jesus weighed the same. That's what the apostle is saying. And because... The sin of Adam was there first. The scales were out of balance. Once the ransom of Jesus is given, the scales are put back in balance. So what happened in Adam would therefore be counteracted by the balance of Jesus as the ransom. This was the plan right from the start. And Rick, that reminds me of God's justice, an eye for an eye, a exactly. tooth for a tooth. So God's justice isn't about punishment. It's about fulfilling and stopping the, the, the rampant sin and death. And this is how God goes about doing it. Now, in Genesis, the gospel's foundation was made plain through the faithfulness of the life of Abraham. And we all know the story of Abraham uh, and, and, and his promised son, Isaac, and then being willing to sacrifice him. God never intended to take Isaac's life, but he intended to show Abraham, have Abraham show him his faithfulness. Here's what happens as a result. Genesis 22, 15 to 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. 
I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And in your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Okay, you know, it says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God promises that through Abraham, all of humanity will be blessed. All, Rick, my favorite (laughs) word in the Bible. I love God's plan. You know, and we take your favorite word, all, and take it with my favorite thing, context. And when we put all in context, what we see is he says, in your seed, not a few people representative of all nations of the earth, but he says all nations of the earth will be blessed. And so there's this comprehensiveness that was given to this promise to Abraham, and that was an ancient promise. And we see God's plan unfolding through that. And later, Jesus is identified in the New Testament as the centerpiece of that very promise, the subject of this whole blessing promise, the whole process. And that is shown to us in Galatians 3, chapter 3, verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So he's being specific. The Apostle Paul is specifically saying the blessing comes through Jesus, one life, and one sacrifice, because Jesus told us he came as a ransom for many. And Rick, that life was the counterbalance for Adam. It was. Perfect life for a perfect life. Humanity, humanity. It just makes perfect, just sense. So what we're defining in these first couple of segments is how the ransom works, what the ransom of Jesus actually is. And inevitably, the end result answer is it is the satisfaction for the sin of Adam, which plunged everybody else into mess. And so it therefore cleans up the mess as it goes because it takes care of the sin of Adam. So the blessing comes through Jesus, one life and sacrifice. That life was the counterbalance, like you said, for Adam. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 23. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Okay. Um, So what you have, another verse in the New Testament that makes it really plain. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. It's the same concept, the same trading off of the two. So what's our ransom reasoning here, Jonathan? And then Trish has got a, a question for clarification purposes. Well, Rick, Jesus as the ransom fulfills the age-old blessing from God to all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth. So we've got Jesus with is in that place of perfect, um, perfect payment, if you will. Okay, Trish. Now, Trish, just folks, so you know, Trish is my wife. She uh, comes in and 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 supplies questions not only from listeners but in terms of just trying to make sure that we're, we're on track and, and explaining things in a, in a comprehensive way. What have you got for us, Trish? Well, I just have a, a question, a clarification. Um, in that soundbite, the gentleman said that Jesus' burden, you know, suffering was deposited to our account. Yes. 
so that we can be forgiven. Okay. What's the difference between that and what you're saying? Because the scripture does say he bears our sins. He's by his stripes. We are healed. Right. So what's the difference? Okay. That's a, that's a really good question. And the difference is that as we will unfold salvation in the next segment, Jesus bears our sins because he pays the price for them and, and, and essentially gives us an opportunity for life as a result of his sacrifice. It's not that everything he did is accredited to each and every one of us. He died for us. And what we're going to see is salvation ends up being an individual responsibility. See, this, this other preacher was not saying that. He was saying that there is no individual responsibility. Jesus credits his life to yours. No, he doesn't. His life was given up so that we can have life. What we do with that life ends up being our choice. That's, that's where the difference is. And we're going to get into that in the next segment. But if it's not clear enough in the next segment, uh, let me know. Okay, thank you, Trish. Uh, John five twenty eight and 29, Jonathan. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So you've got resurrection of life, resurrection of judgment, and we'll get to that later on. We're going to come back to the scripture later. But the point we're making here is Jesus is announcing, I, Jesus, am in charge of, because I am going to die for Adam, I am the one who will be able to call forth everyone from the grave. How did they go to the grave? Because of Adam. How do they call, get, call, get called from the grave? Because of Jesus. That's what Jesus paid for us. That's what he did. What we do with that, that's another story that we're going to begin to unfold. The ransom reasoning here, Jonathan, before we wrap this segment up. Jesus' ransom brings the opportunity for life by the removal of sin and death we inherited in Adam. It is an opportunity, not a guarantee. And that is what we want to begin to establish. And that's why it's, it, it talks about a resurrection of judgment. See, judgment is not a final proclamation. Judgment is a time of trial. That's what it means. That means there's opportunity. Do with it what you will. What does that mean? We'll unfold that uh, as we go a little bit further. Not only is the ransom a powerful gift, it's a gift whose greatest value is in the fulfillment of God's justice. By saying the ransom only brings us an opportunity for life, it sounds like it's incomplete, is it? It's been a privilege and exciting interacting with our listeners all over the world. Reach out to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. In addition to always continuing the conversation on our website, in social media, and our YouTube channel. Learn more about becoming a Christian Questions Ambassador. There are several impactful ways you can help us continue to spread the gospel message. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, click on About Us, then select Ways to Support CQ. Join our incredible team of volunteers and find out more. Now back to Rick and Jonathan. There is no phase of God's plan that is incomplete, as each and every aspect of it accomplishes what it was designed for. Jesus' ransom sacrifice is no exception. It was given for the sole purpose of undoing sin and death that came from Adam. Just like Adam, each and every human being has or will have ample opportunity to take full advantage of this get-out-of-jail-free card. 
Rick, I loved when you shared with us at the end of the last segment, not only is the ransom a powerful gift, it's a gift that has its greatest value in fulfilling God's justice, but I was thinking of the heart. Rick, it's a gift of grace. Yeah. Yeah. It, Un, unmerited favor. We, we don't deserve it. Yeah. But right. God loved us so much. He gave us his only begotten son to save us. Jesus gave us a start. He gave us hope. So what are we going to do with it? You know, what are we going to do with it? Rick, what is the deal with being a follower of Jesus? Is salvation no strings attached, or do we work for it? All right, so let, let's begin to unfold that. But I've uh, been handed a note here that says, uh, please let everyone know that we have a CQ Kids video called Why Did Jesus Have to Die? Okay, so it's exactly what we were talking about, CQ Kids video. It's perfect tie-in to tonight's podcast. Uh, people can see this in all of our videos at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. And that one's for kids, gives you the basics all over again. Why did Jesus have to die? Thanks for that, Trish. Okay, so Jonathan, let's get into this idea of this opportunity thing. The ransom price that we established was what Jesus gave. Nobody earned it. Nobody deserved it. Nobody deserves it more than the next guy. It just comes. Why does it just come? Because death just came. Nobody earned it. Nobody deserved it. It came. Jesus, the ransom takes care of that. So the ransom price equally purchased full opportunity for life for every human being, just as Adam had sinned before, uh, b- beforehand. Salvation now comes into play. So, so now we're going to switch to salvation. We've talked about ransom. Salvation now comes into play, and the new ingredients are our attitudes, our efforts, and our actions. And to a lot of folks, that might be a surprise, but hear it out. As we shall see, salvation is enacted differently to different groups. And, and Jonathan, that's a huge point. Folks, that is. Yeah, if you get this point, you can begin to see the breadth of God's plan. And we're going to lay this out for you over the next couple of segments here. So let's start by going back to Romans chapter 5. We're now going to see how the Apostle Paul brings out the difference in salvation's application. So he has told us the ransom is clearly for everybody. It's clearly the, the balancing for Adam's sin. And now where does the Apostle go with his reasoning? Interestingly, he goes to the very next most logical step, Romans 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Okay, stop right there. <laughs> okay, so by transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Again, who did death reign over? Everyone, Rick. So that's the many that we talked about before. Continue. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So this is interesting. He's been talking about life and death, life and death, life and death, and all of that. And now he's talking about, uh, there's a qualifier here, applying to the called out ones. It shows them, he says, um, much more. So everybody kind of gets the benefit of the ransom, but he says much more. Those who receive the abundance of the grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Shows them reigning. Shows them being given authority. Rick, authority for whom? Aha, you ask a good question, my friend. I will answer that question as the scriptures unfold it in a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Yeah, but, but see, 
but the point is, there is a difference being made here in the Scripture, and we need to pay attention to these things. So here's what salvation for the called-out ones, for the disciples of Jesus, here's what it looks like. First, it's exclusive. John chapter 6, verses 41 to 44. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the interesting thing here is Jesus is saying things that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, could not fathom. And he says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So he is being specific, saying, what I'm telling you is not for everybody. Now, look, we've just said his ransom was for everybody. It was. Okay, so hang on. We've got to put the pieces together. But he's saying there's an exclusivity here because the Father has to draw whomever to become a follower of me, Jesus. So participation in this present salvation is by invitation only. And Rick, it seems to be very similar to God choosing natural Israel. So like them, this is a test for us, the called out ones. It is. It is, exactly. And he had a chosen people in the Old Testament. And that choice wasn't for everybody. That's right. And we better learn the lessons from his chosen people, right? (laughs) Because we're called spiritual Israel. And so we should be learning from where things went wrong and and, and what obedience truly means and so forth. So you're right. And that's a really important example that we're actually going to come back to later. So first, we see that the call of the church, if you will, the call of the, of the followers of Jesus is exclusive. Secondly, we're going to see that Jesus prepared those whom his Father called to salvation now. He prepared them for the rigors of their training. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. So for the Christian, salvation is a presently active endeavor, which is entirely built upon grace. And you said that very, very plainly at the beginning of the segment. It's entirely built upon the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. But Jonathan, it doesn't stop there. See, that's where it starts. Because it requires our focus and our attention, and it requires our sacrifice. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross. You understand that in in that environment, they could probably look up on hills around them and see crosses. Of people being crucified. Yes. They could see the actual misery and torture that people were put through for because they were defiant to the Roman uh, government. And so Jesus says, take up your cross. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to give you everything your little heart desires. He's saying it's a hard road. He was preparing them for something really, really difficult. So we've got this call as exclusive. Then Jesus prepared those who would follow him for the rigors Third, Jesus places himself beside every true follower 
of his to help them to be more than overcomers. And I use very specific language there, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll figure out why. Jesus places himself beside every one of his followers. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Let's just take verse 1 first. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And Rick, an advocate, someone that pleads your cause. Uh, and actually, Jesus is pictured pleading the cause of his followers before his heavenly Father. And for an advocate, for the called out ones, I mean, that's exclusive. Yeah. They're the only ones that have an advocate. Uh, this is a huge difference between something that later we're going to compare as a mediator. Right, right. And you're right. There's a big difference because the advocate is on your side. He's sitting next to you. He or she is sitting there and, and, and speaking for you and speaking with you. you know, and that's why Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I mean, he gave us the sense that you're not in this alone because I'm asking you to do something that's extraordinary and it's difficult. So this advocate is this sense of, of camaraderie and of confidence in following after Jesus and him giving us the ability to be able to continue to follow. So let, let's read now verse 16, or I'm sorry, verse 2 of First John chapter 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So the propitiation, the satisfaction, not just for our sins— but for the sins of the whole world. That shows you there's two different parts to the salvation. Now, the ransom was once. It was paid. It's done. Salvation is ongoing right now for the called out ones. That's what these verses are showing us. Okay? So it is a process that we have to grow into, and we have to go through, and that's what's being shown to us here. You've got... Jesus beside us, you've got the, the fact that he's prepared us, and the fact that it's exclusive. So now, let's do a little contrast. Let's go to a soundbite from Andrew Farley Live, uh, Fall from Grace, Once Saved, Always Saved. Now, he's a, a preacher who believes that once you're saved, that's it, you are, you can't, that can't be undone. So he has this call-in uh, program, and somebody's calling in asking about this idea, asking to have him explain, what do you mean are you sure that that's right? So let's listen. We'll, we'll, we'll do his answer in two parts. Okay. All right. You got your doubts about once saved, always saved, or your yeah. doubt? Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the, the general idea is that you wouldn't be saved unless it was once saved, always saved. Real salvation is not temporary. If I pick you up off of the Titanic and I say I'm saving you and I take you halfway across that body of water and then dump you out because you used a curse word on the way back, well, I'm not saving you. That wasn't salvation. That was temporary. That wasn't real salvation. Uh, you know, you think of what we are. We're born again. Well, can you be unborn? Why does God use that analogy? Uh, you're born physically, can you be unborn? When you're born again, can you be unborn spiritually? Well, from the scriptures, it seems like the answer is a resounding no. Actually, <laughs> interesting thing about that is when it says when Nicodemus is coming to Jesus by night and, you know, can a man, you know, enter again into his mother's womb and, and you know, be born again— when you and it's complex, but when you're talking about that, it's actually uh, talks about being begotten, not being born. 
There's a difference. We're not going to get into the technicalities here and now, but he's saying once you're born, you can't be unborn. So does that mean once you have uh, been given God's grace upon you and God's spirit, it's it. You're done. You have a, 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 a ride on the golden chariot right into heaven. We're going to get into that in the next segment, okay? We're going to get into that very specifically because I think we need to consider other scriptures that help us to round that out. So we'll, we'll get there. But in, an interesting concept, and again, we're talking about salvation, how salvation actually works here. Ransom, already paid. Salvation, ongoing process. So salvation for the called out ones is exclusive. Jesus prepares us for it. Uh, he places himself beside us. And fourth, uh, the present call of salvation requires followers to be a living and outward witness to everyone around them. First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, we'll stop after 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Rick, fighting lusts, that first comes into our mind and we need to weed them out. This is a constant battle to keep down as called out ones. And, you know, it's interesting how many scriptures in the New Testament about, about fighting the good fight. And why do we have to fight so hard if you've got that guaranteed ride on that golden chariot? You know, I, you got to ask yourself, why is the fight there? There's so much in the New Testament that's about focus yourselves. Please, don't go backwards, go forward. And here's one of the reasons why. Verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the day in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And Rick, that reminded me of if we allowed those lusts to take root in our heads, then they will show themselves through improper actions and behaviors because we didn't fight the fight. And that's not giving a glory to God that those evildoers, the rest of the world, looking at you now in the day of visitation. That's later, okay? That indicates that they have an opportunity. We'll get to that soon. But they are going to be able to say, I knew that guy. I knew that guy, Jonathan. I knew there was something different about him. I never saw him up close too much, but the way he carried himself showed me that there was godliness in him. That's, that, that's the witness. So... This is work. This isn't just something that happens to you and, and poof, everything is wonderful. That's not what the working of salvation is. You know, that's so we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It takes effort. Salvation's application here for the called out ones, Jonathan. For the called out ones, they in this age of sin are required to turn their backs upon all earthly ambition and to follow only in Jesus' footsteps. This salvation requires sacrifice, Rick. It requires work. It requires effort. We fall down. We can fail. So what does all this mean? Well, salvation for Christians is a present-day, everyday challenge. Its results will be public for everyone later. Having salvation in this present age is challenging. What happens if someone changes their mind? Do you feel disconnected at your local church? Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. 
Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com, through our app, and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. So we, before we get to this challenge of what happens if someone changes their mind, we need to be reminded that present-day true followers of Jesus have the serious advantage of God's Spirit working in them. This indwelling of God's influence provides critical help, insight, and direction for Jesus' followers who face the world's sinful barrage. We would sink. We would sink badly and quickly if it weren't for God's Spirit. And Rick, our battle is against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are being barraged moment by moment, aren't we? Yeah, and you know, if you if you avoid the world and the devil, you can never avoid your flesh because it follows you everywhere you go. <laughs> well, Rick, a question that is not often talked about. As followers, what if we know the truth but don't change? What if we accept Christ, then walk away? This is big, okay? This is important. This is something we need to take a little bit of time on. There's a major difference, first of all. There's a major difference between making poor decisions and turning away from God, okay? And the scriptures show us that there's a major difference between those two things. So let's look at one part of it. Let's look at making poor decisions first. Uh, Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude, verses 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Okay, build yourselves up, keep working, be focused, keep doing what you're supposed to do. Sets the groundwork for the next verse, verse 22 and 23. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. See, here we see those who are fighting and not doing well. They may be losing. We're called upon to help them up. But Rick, that reminds me of Galatians 6.1. You know, don't go and follow them down the level into the sin that they're in uh, to pull them out because we ourselves could be tempted and, and fall ourselves. We have to gently try to bring them up higher, bring, lift them to, to, to Christ-like standards. And, and here's the point. It says, have mercy on some who are doubting, who may be going through really difficult trials and testings at this point. S- some you need to snatch out of the fire. They're making bad decisions. And, and you're right. Don't go get in the fire with them and say, ah, it's pretty warm in here. What do you think about getting out? <laughs> you, you, you snatch <laughs> them out. You know, and the idea is sometimes it says, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. You know, that, that garment is talking about the covering of Christ. And do we pollute it with our fleshly activities? And if we do and we're stuck, wouldn't it be wonderful to have our brotherhood, you know, being willing to help us pull out of those things? Those are bad decisions, Jonathan, that we can help others come out from. Of course, if somebody doesn't want to listen, then they don't want to listen. That's a different story. Okay, so... There's a problem there, but there's a solution. Let's go back to Andrew Farley. Remember, he was talking about once saved, always saved. And now he goes into another scripture to further prove that perspective. I don't get it. I mean, I see people freaking out about this once saved, always saved idea, and I just don't get how they can read the Bible 
and then uh, just disagree with what God himself is saying. What do I mean by that? Well, if Jesus says, I'll never leave you, uh, 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 what does that mean? I'll never leave you. Let's look at it in the original language. It means, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Nobody can snatch you out of my hand. Nothing separates you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, now look, he's right. Jesus will never leave us once we become his followers. He'll never forsake us. He's right. Nothing can snatch us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's in in Romans. So what's the deal? Well, look, let's take a look at an entirely different picture. And he says, you know, if people would just read the Bible, okay, well, let's do that, okay? True and unmistakable salvation has been granted. Let's paint the picture. In this picture now, we have true, unmistakable salvation, and its recipients, somebody who receives it, makes a deliberate decision to walk away from it. There's a sad progression here. Now, he may argue, well, that can't happen. Well, then, read the scriptures, because Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, gives us a progression of somebody who had it all and walks away. And Jonathan, we're going to go through these verses really slowly. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened... Okay, to have been enlightened means to have had their eyes opened. They see something they never saw before, and it has to do with the gospel. And have tasted the heavenly gift. They've understood and been blessed by the gospel, by the message of Jesus, by the life of Jesus, and have come forward to follow that. And have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a partaker of the Holy Spirit, that's an enormous thing. That means that God's Spirit is working within you. You you have become a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's how far down the road you've gone. And have tasted the good word of God. The Holy Spirit, God's power and influence, helps us understand and appreciate and digest God's word and his plan. And the powers of the age to come. The power of the age to come is the fact that Jesus ransomed himself for you. That's what that means. And we're going to see that coming up later on in the segment and the next segment. But the idea is you have had it all. And you were called, you were given God's Spirit, and you're following along. I mean, you're in. You are in at this point. What happens next? And then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. The fact that you went through all of those things, you were a partaker of the Holy Spirit, you had the power of the age to come, which is the power of the ransom already applied to you. The scripture says in Hebrews, if you, if you walk away from those things, and Jonathan, first of all, that's hard to do. That doesn't happen by accident. That, oh, is, no. that is a clear-cut, thought-out decision. It's, not, it's deliberate. Yes, yes, absolutely deliberate. But it says it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Why? Because they were already renewed to repentance. Jesus already died for them once, and they used it up. So this scripture, Jonathan, unfortunately, is telling us that there is 
a, the, the idea of once in grace, always in grace is not scriptural. It's showing us that we must be clear if we are following Christ now that that is the end result of our lives. And if we, and Rick, doesn't ahead. it say judgment begins with the house of the Lord? It does. This is showing that clearly. Right. We, if we are true followers of Christ, are the first in line to be judged once the ransom has been applied to us. So that's a really important point. So what's salvation's application here? For the called out ones, salvation now comes with every advantage, but it does not override our personal will and choices without our consent. Keeping our salvation is ultimately up to us. Okay, it's up to us to stay within the grace. The ransom bought the opportunity equally for everyone. And you know, and to to, to comment on uh, Andrew Farley's uh, question or, or 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 thoughts, scriptural thoughts about well, you know, Jesus will never leave us. He doesn't. He didn't leave the individual in this verse. The individual left Jesus. When in, in, in the verses in Romans 8 where it says, neither life nor death nor principalities nor things past nor things present nor to come, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. If you notice, there's one thing left off of that list. Self. Right. I can separate me from the love of Christ. I still have that choice. I had better be careful. That's a sobering thought. Go ahead. So salvation, Rick, for the called out ones is a fight for our spiritual lives. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This is not an easy thing. It is a fight for our spiritual lives. Make no mistake about it. So salvation comes to the called out ones, and you're on trial for life now. Be faithful unto death and earn the crown of life. Not because you're so great, but because you you live your life under the grace of God through the covering of Jesus. Let's go back to our friend uh, from Wretched. He's talking to this this uh, young woman about uh, you know other people and what happens to people in in this soundbite. What happens to people who live before Jesus? She's asking really important, very good questions about how how do they what, what's what's their eternal eternal uh, destination going to be? My whole thing is that many people in the world in history before Jesus Christ and presently will never meet a Christian and they will never know about this religion. So there are wonderful people who are Muslim, who are Buddhist, who live in tribes all around the world. They will not know Christianity in the sense that you've, in your privilege, been able to know Christianity in this way. So I need to know if accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is the parameter to have an afterlife, a good afterlife, what do you as a Christian believe happens to all the souls that never knew Jesus? So I'll answer the how did people get saved before Christ by believing in the Christ to come. Abraham. What if they li- never knew about that? What if they were 10? Well, okay, I'll, get to that one in a, I'll get to that one in a second. Okay. But people were saved in the Old Testament, for instance, before the cross by believing in the promise. They maybe didn't have as robust an understanding as we get to have today, but they believed in a Messiah that must suffer for sinners. So early and by people, believing in Christ, they were beings, saved by Christ. Early human beings had to somehow have foreknowledge that there would be a Christ to come, a God to come, and they would have to no. have grace through no, that No, that's belief. a great, great question. I'll just tell you biblically okay. what you do with it, totally up to you. So it's interesting because she's very persistent, and she asks at the end a very important thing. Okay, so people before Christ had to have an idea of some, some messiahship, and so really his answer is built around the Jewish nation only. And her point is, well, what if somebody didn't know that? What if somebody didn't have the inside track? And so 
she's leaving a very wide open group of people to be dealt with. Now, he's going to deal with that in the next segment, in, the, in our soundbite in the next segment. He's going to go, be, go to that. But it's an interesting thing, and he's saying that they had, they, they had a sense of something to come, and that's what saved them. And, and Jonathan, by what we're seeing in scriptures, that, that's simply not correct. See, no. what the scriptures are telling us is salvation is now for the called out ones, and it's serious, okay? It's really serious. You have a lot of advantages and you have to do something with those advantages. And by describing these other things, all those advantages didn't exist. It would have been easier to believe in some idea at some point in, in the distant past than to be, you know, saddled, if you will, with all this responsibility. So salvation, God's salvation, because he provided this ransom, is just. And it's full of grace for everybody. How's it going to work for the everybody else? Glad I asked, because here is where we get into this. What about the everybody else? How does it work? Well, first, we need to see a clear distinction between two classes when it comes to salvation. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Well, Rick, do Christian churches prescribe and teach this? That we're the Savior of all men, especially of believers. There's two parts. And the answer is no, that is not a common teaching. Why? I don't know. Because it's here. It's been in Romans chapter uh, uh, 5, as we've been going through it pretty much every segment so far. It, it, it keeps on coming up. So, The especially focuses on the exceptional reward for believers accepting salvation now, Savior of all men, but especially of those who believe. So the first thing is there's a clear distinction between two classes. Secondly, the world's reconciliation, which is the application of their salvation. So the world's being reconciled is actually having salvation applied to them. So so the, the ransom has worked and now they get to go through the work of salvation. Their salvation is future, while our reconciliation, which is the application of our salvation, is here and now. Second Corinthians five eighteen and 19. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transpasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we have reconciliation, and God, through Christ, is reconciling the world to himself because we are in the process of being made faithful. We're given that ministry. This is the good news of the gospel. The world is mentioned. You can't throw them out. You can't say, well, they're going to suffer eternal punishment when he talks about reconciling them, not just in this verse, but in the previous verse. So we've got the world's reconciliation is future. We've got there's a distinction between those called out to follow Jesus now and the rest of the world. And third, God's stated plan for salvation of the world is their repentance, which can only be applied once they have the merit of the ransom gift applied to them, and that comes later. Remember, Jonathan, for those who follow Jesus, the merit of his ransom has been applied now. So our trial for life is now. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. 
But do not let this one fact escape notice, beloved, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Why does he keep talking, do the scriptures keep talking about all coming to repentance and having salvation, if it's not true? I mean, we've got to take the scriptures for what they're telling us. You know, this idea that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, what, 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 the, what the Apostle Peter is saying is, God is patient. God's got time, and he's going to give salvation to everyone in their own time. It doesn't have to be right now. See, most of Christianity looks at this and says, it's got to be now. It's now or never. There's too many holes in that. There's too many scriptures that go against that. So what we're doing is we're trying to put things into order. What's salvation's application as we wrap up this segment? For the world, the ransom is yet to be applied, and therefore their salvation cannot be in play as yet either. They must wait for the appointed time. Okay, they've got to wait for their appointed time. So we've got a lot of pieces here on the table. And uh, so salvation for the world is an incredibly promising future event that most Christians don't even understand. The ransom is paid. How will anyone know what the appointed time is for the world's salvation? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. Timing is everything. First, the ransom was paid once for all. Next, the time for Jesus' followers to have the ransom applied to them was when the call to spirituality, the call to life, began at Pentecost. Salvation now comes into play for them. While the world is not on the same timetable, they do follow a similar pattern. How exactly does salvation work for people who do not know or even like Jesus now, Rick? <laughs> you know, and, and there are a lot of people who don't like Jesus, okay? It's just, that's just the fact of the matter. You know, and, and during the break, Trish um, handed me a question. It's like, okay, to be re reconciled means what? To be saved or salvation means what? To be ransomed means what? And I think this is a good time to put those things in place so that we get an understanding as we move forward. To be reconciled, well, let, let's start with to be ransomed. To be ransomed means that humanity was bought from Adam's sin. That is a gift that we have nothing to do with, nothing to say about. We get the gift because we received the penalty. Everyone who receives the penalty of sin and death automatically gets the gift of ransom. Reconciliation is the process by which God brings the world back to him. And it's a long, big process. Salvation is the individual uh, carrying out of that pro process. For the called out ones, it happens one person at a time as they strive to be faithful unto death. In the resurrection, when people are raised, it will happen one person at a, at a time. 
So salvation is really focusing on the individual. Reconciliation is the big picture, and the ransom makes it all happen. So having said that, Let's go back one last time to our friend uh, from this Why Doesn't God Save Everybody? Because now we've been talking, obviously, about it being a no, no, no. God does. We have to do something with it. And let's just hear his last uh, bit of reasoning here. But to get to your big question, what about people who never hear? Here's what the Bible says. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they speak without saying a word. In other words... Creation preaches God exists, and most people reject it. Everybody is without excuse because everybody knows God exists. The most basic intuitive fact on the planet is recognizing there is a God. You would never believe this microphone happened by itself. You shouldn't believe that you happened by yourself. You shouldn't believe the universe happened by itself. God right now is preaching to everybody here, look up, I exist, I made the place. It is, it is the most basic understanding we can have, and most people suppress it because they don't want to submit to God. You know, he brings up a really, some really important and good points in that, and, and I think they're, they're, they're misapplied, but I think they're really good points. The idea, and in Romans chapter 1, it talks about the fact that, look, creation is a testimony. We can't deny that. That's right. Of course it is. But is it the testimony that brings them the salvation for eternal life? No. It's a testimony that can wake someone up. But for those who never heard, uh, those who lived on the other side of the world, had no sense, were taught from, the, from, from being very, very small, given other reasons for creation, you can't hold them accountable for for the this eternity thing because they don't have the knowledge so the point of salvation for the world is it has to be just it has to be full of grace and that's what jesus says it actually is and rick before the podcast we talked together about unless they are taught how are they gonna know yeah you know and, and that's a really important part of this the scriptures say that you know how how will they hear unless someone is there to teach them so you know you've got to get up and preach the gospel all right, so, you know, there's, there's that responsibility. In the future, resurrection will be the beginning of their learning process. Let, let's go back to John 5, 28 and 29, because Jesus reveals a lot in this statement. Now, we re- referenced this in the first segment, I think, talking about Jesus' ransom. But, Jonathan, let's reread it and just focus on different parts of the verses. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who have done the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who have committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I think this is helping us understand how salvation works. The resurrection of life is for those who, to whom the ransom has already been applied, the followers of Jesus. And salvation, their call to life, has been individually claimed. Many are called, few are chosen, be faithful unto death, give you a crown of life. Resurrection of life. They've been paid for because they had the ransom applied to them because God called them to do so. The resurrection of judgment sets up the same pattern, okay? The ransom is applied to the world uh, when it's raised from death. That's future. That's when they get the ransom applied to them. At that point, the world's salvation, their call to life becomes available one person at a time, just like the call to Christ is one person at a time. So, Rick, you're saying resurrection is an 
opportunity. Yes. It's not the end of the road. It's the beginning of the road. It says, you've been paid for. What are you going to do with what you've been given? That's what individual salvation is. It's up to us now as Christians and to the world later as resurrected human beings to do something with it. For God to be able to deal with the whole world, they, like Israel, and you were talking about this earlier in the podcast, they need a mediator to help things be put in place. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-6. to six. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. You can't deny the scriptures talking about the comprehensiveness of what the ransom did. So don't accept what the scriptures are showing us and see that salvation works differently for different times and different people in different ages. It's okay. It's a good thing. So just several observations from from that scripture, Jonathan, four very quickly. Well, Rick, God will have all men to be saved and given salvation's open door. And that's what salvation is. It's an open door that's made possible by the ransom. What's the second point? All men will understand. And that word means recognition, full discernment. So it says all men to be saved, to to have salvation put before them, and then come to a knowledge of the truth. And it shows you that they learn once that they have had the ransom applied to them and salvation is starting to work with them. What's next? Jesus will mediate as Moses mediated so that the people have a true opportunity. See, it's not an opportunity of I, I saw nature and therefore I'm saved. It's an opportunity of making my life right with God, of learning how to become righteous, learning how to become godly step by step by step. Jesus mediates because he bought the right to mediate by way of his ransom. It comes down to the ransom. The ransom is always the centerpiece of everything. Okay, we're going to wrap this up, Jonathan. Let's go to Romans, back to Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And here the apostle shows us ransom for all first, salvation for all second. Romans 5, 18. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. So, through one transgression, everybody dies. Through one act of righteousness, the ransom, justification to all men. See, justification means uh, it's the ability, being free from guilt, We're freed from the guilt of the sin of Adam. Now, we're not freed from accountability for our own actions, but we're freed from the guilt of the sin of Adam. That's what the ransom does. It frees us from the guilt of the sin of Adam. That's the result of the ransom. Verse 19 shows us salvation. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners— Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So this is still about all humanity, and now it's focusing on there being sinners. Now, notice in the first one, it was, look, you died, doesn't matter, you just died. Okay, here, it's they were made sinners, and now they will be made righteous. So it's still all about all of humanity, and now it's focusing on sinners. Here, salvation 
is the open door for the pathway to being righteous, which means to be equitable. So, Jonathan, the ransom puts the opportunity in place and gives each and every human being the doorway to salvation. It comes differently for those now than those later, but it still comes. It's the same general process, but a very different end result because the, the, the followers of Christ go to heaven, the rest of the world will have life on earth, and there's hundreds of prophecies that tell us that. So let's finish up these verses in Romans 5, verses 20 and 21. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but when sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the more clearly sin was defined, so the apostles now going back to the law after he's laid out this incredible reasoning on ransom and salvation and how the two work together and how the ransom is the, is the centerpiece. And he goes back to the law and he's saying, look, by defining what sin looks like, it defines the power of grace. And when you see the fact that Jesus fulfilled the whole law, what it's showing us is he not only, not only took Adam's sin and canceled it out, but he earned the right to do that by being that perfect human being. And that's in verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So even so, grace, salvation, would reign through righteousness, the ransom, to eternal life through Jesus, our Lord. So they work together, Jonathan. Now that's good news. It is. It's, it's, it's good news. And it's for everybody. And salvation and the ransom are different. And it's okay that they're different because the ransom is the centerpiece. It's the foundation, and each man builds salvation based on what they're given. You know, and, and I want to make it clear. It's not because we're so smart that we have salvation. It's because we're so blessed that we have salvation now, and the world will be so blessed later when they have it. What's our final salvation's application point? Salvation for the world follows the same pattern as salvation for Jesus' disciples, even at a different time and a very different end result. In all cases, the one-time ransom of Jesus opens the door to individual salvation, which brings life. So it's about life. How does life come back to humanity? It comes through Jesus. It comes through the ransom first. The ransom was paid, and it's like a gift that you get, you know, before Christmas and says don't open until the proper time, until December 25th. For the true followers of Christ, they open that ransom now. For the rest of the world, when they are raised from the dead, they will open that, 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 that gift, and they will be told, you're alive because of Jesus. Now you need to earn life as a righteous follower of God through Christ. How are you going to do that? Salvation is different than the ransom, works differently for different groups of people, but it's a beautiful part of the plan of God for every human being who ever lived. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. An important, important subject. Are Jesus' ransom and our salvation the same? No, thank God they're not. And it's magnificent what they bring us. Think about it. Folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us, review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, oh, next week, if I slander and gossip, what does that say about me? Ouch. Talk to you next week. <laughs>